Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I'm not going to, so quit asking. Time now for... Because if it was up to you, we're, we're, we're six foot under already. We're dead and buried and gone. Gone. Overreaction Monday! You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? I don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the NFL, and about four or five of them were first-round draft picks. And I think that team won a national championship, but I'm not sure. And they run through our ass like through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. Could not stop them. I don't even know what you asked me, but I just wanted to say that. And here's Dan. All right, everyone, welcome. Overreaction Monday, Yahoo Sports College podcast. And I'd just like to point out that no matter how many teams have canceled, no matter how many games have canceled, no matter how many coaches have con- contracted the COVID, no matter what has happened in 2020, there is one single constant to the universe. That is Clemson and Alabama, the two best teams. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like year six running of this uh, gag, isn't it? Pretty much. There's been a blip or two, LSU, yeah, and, you know, right. but, uh, yeah. I mean, Here do you really are. think Clemson played that well? I mean, they didn't even score 100. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they scored 52 in the first half and turned it over twice. That <laughs> is hard to do. 73 to 7, Clemson beat Georgia Tech. I'd feel bad, but Georgia Tech famously once ran it up on Cumberland 222 to zero. Yeah. The greatest mismatch in college football history. So they they deserve a couple woodshed beatdowns. <laughs> Karma still coming back for that game. Good Lord. Clemson looked ridiculously good. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the big one. Great game for a half. 24-20 at the break. George is leading. The law firm looks like he can handle it. Eee, not so much. <laughs> Alabama just literally runs away from Georgia with their wide receivers. Tremendous, uh, tremendous effort by Alabama the second half. The whole game. Matt Jones, four TDs. Devonta Smith, 167 yards, and Jalen Waddle, 161, three TDs compete, uh, you know, racking them up. Harris, 152 in a TD running, great defense. Nick Saban, not sick. Yeah. I mean, it was really a great story for us because we got to have all sorts of fun <laughs> laughing at the yeah. idea of Nick Saban having COVID. And then he didn't even have COVID, so yeah. he wasn't sick, and he got to coach the game. <laughs> That false positive was a boon for our podcast. It absolutely was. We got to fire off 20 minutes worth of lines on that, and then he's okay. Pat, I'll start with you. Thoughts on the big matchup in Tuscaloosa? Super impressed with Alabama. I went into that thinking Georgia was the better team. At halftime, I still thought Georgia was the better team. But then, holy cow, when the chips were down, who had the playmakers? It was Alabama. I mean, what those receivers did, and Mac Jones is Mac Jones is very good, but the receivers, I think, really make that passing game go because Jalen Waddell is so fast. It's unbelievable. And his ability on the on the bomb, on the 90-yard bomb, first of all, to run past the defender, but then to accelerate and move over to adjust to get the ball. Like that's I don't know who's that fast. I'm not I'm trying to think of somebody I've seen with that kind of wheels. It's been a while. Maybe um, Tyreek Hill, you know, that that kind of speed. But uh, And then Devontae Smith, I mean, the catch that he made while he's getting bodied and to get a foot down, 
high high points the ball. In, I mean, just incredible plays by those receivers. So that and that is strength on strength. And Pete wrote about it, and we talked about it. Those receivers against those DBs, those are all good players, very good players. A lot of pros, but Alabama's pros were better for Georgia. You know, very, just super disappointing second half. You know, Stetson Bennett has done a, a really good job. He's also he was a walk on, a five ten walk on for a reason, and he was going to be the fourth string guy this year for a reason. So the single most impactful opt out I think this year, when all is said and done, will be Jamie Newman opting out of Georgia. So here's a here's my my like big picture takeaway from that game. Georgia needs to get away from Stetson Bennett. They need to. They need to go to JT Daniels because Stetson Bennett looked like he should have been starting at Furman in the second half of that game, right? I mean, in, in this no knock on Stetson Bennett, he's been a great story, the mailman and, you know, the, the kid who went to Juco and he came back. But like his limitations, Nick Saban swallowed him whole at the end of the day. And when they needed the dynamic plays from a quarterback that you need to win in college football in 2020. Like what we're seeing Alabama do right now is essentially the archetype of what LSU did. They are just streaking past people with, you know, with an elite talent at quarterback. And uh, I'm going to declare it right now. Mac Jones will be a first round pick in the next NFL draft. Like, I just don't think there's any doubt NFL teams are going to look and he's coming from Saban and those receivers are going to make anybody look great. But I really think like, to me, he has made a leap through these first four weeks that I didn't expect. One of the scouts that I, that I spoke with for my preview mentioned that to me. And maybe that was like in the back of my mind as I talked. But like, don't be surprised if with the, the big three that we obviously we obviously know about Lawrence Fields and uh, Trey Lance. And then Zach Wilson, I think, has made his way into that group. But I, I can't see Mac Jones having this type of success and not ending up on those radars. I, I can't see it happening. So to go back to it, like diamondism at the quarterback position in really aerial diamondism, like passing over the top vertical passing game is, is what you need to win in college football in 2020. You need Deshaun Watson. You need Trevor Lawrence. You need Joe Burrow. You need guys who can make game-breaking plays with their arms. Look, Tyson Campbell, the poor, poor soul of a corner who Jalen Waddle left in the dust around midfield on that play Pat was talking about where uh, Waddle adjusted in midfield. Like, he's a first-round pick. And yeah, I, yeah. I wrote in my column that I thought he should actually be thankful if he tripped and fell because yeah. he wasn't catching Jalen Waddle. That's a 50-yard sprint of shame where you are just getting outrun by the best athlete in college football. So... Really impressed with Alabama. Still some questions. But if we're going to see this game again, which I think we will, it would be negligent if Georgia isn't playing JT Daniels, a quarterback. At least he has the physical tools to give you a chance. It's pretty interesting. I, I think you're right. I think, look, if for Georgia, Georgia's trying to win the national title. I think anything less than winning a national title is, I'm not going to say disappointment, but that's the goal here. To do that now, they need to beat Florida. November 7th. They got to win a lot of other games, couldn't at Kentucky in a couple weeks. But they got to beat Florida. They got to win all the other games, which I think you can do with Stetson Bennett. Can they beat Florida with Stetson Bennett? I don't know. They would then eventually play Alabama again in the playoff in the uh, SEC title game and have to beat them. We did not see that. And eventually they have to play Clemson, probably. So you have to score 40, 50 points to win these games. Clemson is, I don't care how good your defense is, you know, you can't keep Alabama under wraps for that long. You're not going to keep Clemson. You're not going to win a game 20-21-17 uh, no. against Alabama or Clemson. I just don't think that's nope. happening anymore. And, and so then you look and go, is, is, is Stetson Bennett a guy who's gifted enough to do that? Probably not. I mean, he just right. did. He did well, but there, there, and there were too many. Even uh, there was that one scoring driver just overthrew wide open guys oh in the end zone, yeah. and you know he can't run. He's going to get hit. It's just, I, I agree with you, Pete. They're missing that that key element there. Because look, Alabama, they kind of sat on the ball late, right? I mean, they took the gate. They just they just killed the clock. Really, really well coached. But Georgia's in this game, but then the sprint went down and they couldn't keep up. 
And that's where you go to your quarterback. So I hate picking on him too because no, he's, you know. he's done very well for himself. I mean, he's he's yeah. been a starter at Georgia and done pretty well. But that's the thing—you can't take a knife to a gunfight like that if you're trying to win a national title. And that's—I mean, boy, if you're playing Alabama now, it's a gunfight. If you're playing Clemson, it's a gunfight. I thought you brought up a good point, Dan, about how Alabama did kill the clock. That was basically like a portrait of it was like a 13, 14 play drive or whatever. That was a portrait of like 2011 Alabama and how Saban wants to win. And for a long time, felt like he needed to win. Right. Like that was an elite offensive line. Like I had asked Kirby Smart in the Zoom after the game about Alabama's offensive evolution. And and it was more his tone the way he talked about the line. But he was like, you guys are like underestimating the talent of this Alabama offensive line. And in a few coaches that I talked to today really thought Alex Leatherwood, obviously the left tackle is probably going to end up a first round pick, but end to end side to side, certainly Georgia got some pressure, especially early that Alabama offensive line held serve. And if you can do that and you can let give the, give Mac Jones just a little bit of time and, and let those receivers get open. I don't know who is going to, uh, who's going to be able to stop them. It, you know, outside the, Clemson, Ohio State class of uh, of of folks. And even now, like Ohio State's defensive line isn't what it was when it had Chase Young and some of these other kind of Bosa like creatures who've gone through there. Clemson defensive line is very good, but their most talented players are young, either true freshmen or uh, they've got a sophomore who started a bunch of games. But like they're not the. The, the war daddies, uh, to use one of my favorite NFL draft terms, that they've had they, that they've had in the past. So I really think that's kind of one of the underrated things that came out of this game for Alabama is they are going to hold up up front. The immortal Kyle Flood is the line coach at Alabama doing his job, <laughs> earning his 800000 or what I assume to be 800000 I also think it's important to note, I mean, Alabama had not looked great on defense. No. I mean, they got no. torched by Ole Miss the whole game. And so for for Georgia to walk out of there 24 points, it's I expect Georgia. I will see. But Georgia, this could very well be replayed in December. Georgia's got a lot of work to do to this wasn't a well, it was one play there, one play there. Uh, This was this was a domination. I don't know if it was domination. Like, well, second Bennett doesn't throw that interception at the two. So I want to say Alabama's down 24, 20. They go up 27, 24. Right. And then the, the Georgia's driving and Stetson Bennett overthrows the guy. Malachi Moore picks it off at the two. And then we're kind of that we're kind of off. That's off the top of my head. But that like to me, that was like w- the, the, the interceptions by Bennett were the were the difference. I believe all three of his picks led to touchdowns. Yeah, he he was he was the difference in the game and in, in the wrong way. There is a path and an argument for Georgia because of their strengths, but there's just one clear glaring difference and it's behind center. And yeah, really no, the that, skill the skill too. That's I, yeah, I mean there. their receivers are okay. That's all they are. You know, I mean they you know I, I like their running backs. I think Georgia's running backs are very good. They run extremely hard and the line is good. But they they the the pass and catch game on from the wide out standpoint and from the vertical standpoint is not great. And that's that's uh, that is a difference maker, but compared to who you're trying to beat and who you're competing against. And I, I, I think they're absolutely good enough to beat Florida and everyone else. And I do think, yeah, we get round true round two and we'll see if JT Daniels is the quarterback then. And we'll see if they look a lot better or not on offense. So here's a question for, for Pat. And before we pivot off this, do you think the way Lane Kiffin plays and Jeff Levy calls plays in that Baylor system is do you think that system, like Alabama's defense, is undermanned, or they were just completely ill-equipped for the tempo, for the play calling, and they exposed their young players? Like, what what was your pet, your balance off of uh, off of watching those two games? Yeah, some of some of both. I mean, I they were at the, they certainly put Alabama outside of its comfort zone. You know, defensively, they, that's not really the way they want to play, and for a half at least. I thought their linebackers were really not very good in the first half. They didn't cover well. Uh, they looked confused. They weren't necessarily in the right spots. I mean, there were running backs open out of the backfield all all half. I don't know about the second half. But I, that's where Nick Saban going to make some adjustments for you at halftime, especially defensively, and I think they tightened some things up there uh, and also got after uh, Stetson Bennett a little bit more. But, uh, you know, I – 
I think they, they there's room for them to get better defensively, but they're also they're not. This is not vintage Alabama defense either. So we said Alabama, we got Clemson. They've both looked impressive. Now the Big Ten is coming next weekend. They're going to begin. Ohio State is certainly a, a team we're going to eyeball because there really isn't a lot of other teams that have cloaked themselves in national contender glory. Uh, I don't did they, I'm sure the AP poll came out today. Is Notre Dame third? You know what? I I'll, I'll look right now. I, I, if they I, haven't I, come out, Notre Dame's either fourth or third. Yeah, they're probably third. I don't know if third, they're ranking Ohio third State in both polls. Okay. okay, Notre Dame is third. They beat Louisville twelve to seven. They've played nobody. Yeah, they looked. I watched a lot of that game. Not impressive at all against. Uh, they, they the offensive line would have been dominating. Uh, they did not able to get the run going. There was a lot of pressure on Ian Book with that that fast, athletic Louisville line. Louisville's not a great team, but they were in it. Uh, Notre Dame probably could have won by more. They were kind of trying to game manage the victory at the end and all that. But regardless, uh, you know, and look, one game's one game. They they had this weird stop and start because, the you know, they've had this. Everyone's going to have this odd season. But. I don't think you're sitting there going, oh, Notre Dame. Yep, absolutely. They're going to have they're going to be right there with Clemson in a few weeks. Now, we'll, we will see. That's going to be a great game. Uh, again, lock and change. But Notre Dame's North Carolina was right behind them. They lose to Florida State. Then you're looking at like Oklahoma State is the next best team. I don't know. Cincinnati. Like, where are we with these teams that have been playing? Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I mean, BYU. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just not a lot out there. Everyone's got a Florida's got a loss. A&M's got a loss. Miami, Florida's got a loss. I think now the Big Ten is in. Yeah, this ranking. I was texting right. Ralph Russo about it this week. They All they right, let him so, in a few weeks ago, but some people aren't voting for him. So Ohio State's Buckeyes like six. Fifth. Okay, right. another fifth. fifth. Yeah. And so but, like, yeah, because I wrote about Notre Dame this week because it's the least hype top five Notre Dame team in the history of the world. Right. Like now part of it is because they haven't played anybody. And uh, but it was just like it was striking to me that we are at a point in mid-October and Notre Dame is just people have just kind of like left them alone and, and, and been there. And usually if Notre Dame shows the a glimmer of hope, there is, you know, an immediate chorus of, you know, just overt media coverage. And uh, that has just not happened. And then uh, they justified it by a pretty pedestrian performance against uh, against Louisville, including just some awful game management by Brian Kelly at the end of the first half, where they faked a field goal on fourth and nine, and then they didn't get it. And then they call a timeout to pin Louisville. Louisville comes all the way down and kicks a field goal and just misses it. But it was just like every single decision they made there. Because they could have gone out in the half nine, nothing. It, it was a chipped field goal instead of that. There was just some... There was just some weird things that happened in that game. And, and if you didn't fall asleep watching that game, Dan, I give you credit because it was boring. I uh, It was boring. Very, very boring. Kind of gray sky. Yeah, there was nothing going yeah. on. It, it, was a, it was a dull game. was not unimpressive by the Irish. Yeah. And they didn't cover. Uh, so that's two <laughs> weeks in a row. I bet on Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the last of that. <laughs> But listen, I had to do the top 10 for SI last night after the games, and it's bleak, man. I had I left Georgia at third after losing by 17 points. I got BYU fourth. I've got Notre Dame fifth. And then I got Texas A&M, Florida, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, Marshall. Obviously not ranking teams that haven't played yet. All we need to do is see Ohio State take the field, and they'll probably jump into the top three. But after the top two, it's sketchy right now. So, you know, and BYU, I really like the team, but they don't have the schedule. I mean, it's just it's, it would be indefensible to put them in the playoff with the schedule they're going to play. So even if they go undefeated. Could they sneak into a New Year's Six Bowl if the yes. AAC teams beat each other up? Yeah, yes. I think so, too. I, I, wrote, I wrote that, uh, yeah, in the 40-yard dash uh, first quarter today. That Yeah, that, that, that the schedule would not really support them as a playoff contender, but they could absolutely be. If they're undefeated with a really exciting first-round draft pick quarterback and, and an interesting following, I mean, people be, BYU has a big fan base, and then a, there's a lot of people who like to root against BYU, too. They would be an attractive New Year's, New Year's Six team. They are fun as hell to watch. 
I mean, yeah. just like uh, Zach Wilson, I'm I'm all in. I am uh, I'm infatuated. He's 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 a marvel. He is a, he's a blast to watch. I agree. So the big uh, one of the big upset of the weekend was Florida State uh, rising from the grave and <laughs> yeah. uh, beating UNC 31-28. They jumped out early and got a, they got a big on them. Now Florida State actually played Notre Dame pretty well, so. You know, maybe there's a little bit of something coming there. Uh, again, didn't cover. Irish didn't cover in that one. Um, but who's counting? Uh, I thought, so great win for Mike Norvell. I guess it's your signature win because you beat a top five team. I'm not really sure North Carolina is going to go down as a as that big moment, but uh, it's progress over a season. And uh, that's kind of what you're looking for with a first-year head coach. Fascinating thing I did see. Uh, or Sully saw and pointed out there was a fan in the stands at Doe Campbell Stadium who held a sign. And I don't know if you have seen this, but back in Mike Norvell's days at Central Arkansas, when he was a football player at Central Arkansas, he posed for his uh, team picture wearing cornrows. Oh, yes, I have seen that one. It's a somewhat famous uh, viral photo of him. Now he says he was working a youth camp and there was a bet with the kids and they lost the bet and he got, he's 20 to try, trying to be funny. And it is, and still <laughs> remains funny. <laughs> yes. Bad idea. Hair, hair sales. Not a guy who can rock the cornrows. No, no. If you haven't, if you haven't seen it, go look at it and say that guy's yeah. the head Mike, coach at Florida. Just State. type in Mike Norvell cornrows. You'll get, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's worth a chuckle. Anyway, this kid is holding a sign, and it says, if FSU beats UNC, I'll get this with an arrow pointed at the picture of Mike Norvell in the cornrows. <laughs> that is awesome. Tattoo. <laughs> Tattoo. What? He has a sign that says, I will get the Mike Norvell tat cornrow headshot. As a tattoo. As a tattoo. Oh, my God. Now, I do not know if this will happen or not. I think we need to follow up. Sully, we send need to me that picture. Yeah. It's in the rundown if you looked at oh, the rundown. Sorry. Sully did a good Never job. Never look at the rundown. That's your job. Uh, the kid is easily identifiable. I mean, he's a lot of, he's you know, he's got his little Florida State kind of colored shirt. He's got, got the Bama bangs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> smiling his mask is not being properly worn of course and he he clearly thought he was clever and now and uh, now <laughs> do you so do you have does he have to do it pat 40 well those people's court this is it legally binding to get the tattoo if you bring a wise ass sign to a football game and are caught on social media with this sign. Do you have yes, to get it? Yes, yes, because you bring the sign there to draw attention to yourself and to get on TV, and now now the world knows. And so guess what? If the world knows, then the world's going to follow you until you get it done. Absolutely. This is this is uh, would be completely justifiable vigilante justice for people to just apprehend this kid, tie him down, take him into a tattoo parlor, and make it get done. Yes, has to happen. I think Norvell would be smart to go with him to the tattoo parlor and take advantage yeah. of the publicity that let's face it. There hasn't been a whole lot of good publicity for the Florida state Seminoles, uh, you True. know, in the last, in the last three years, maybe <laughs> pretty much. So uh, in, in this case, I think uh, and Norvell has got a good sense of humor. He's, he's, he's an affable, affable guy. I think Norvell should go straight to the tattoo parlor with him and pose Next to his old cornrows. Uh, his name, the, the the young man's name is Jack Henny. I'm going to mispronounce it. I don't know. H-E-N-Y-E-C-Z. Well, we've got and his name and everything. Oh, this kid's. Oh, yeah. He, well, he's actually bragging about it. At least some account that appears to be him is bragging about it on Twitter. Uh, he's got another picture of him with a couple other super fans and uh, some young lady. Either is his girlfriend, sister, I don't know, or he picked her up because he's got this great sign. <laughs> uh, Pierce, he, he, so there's a lot of, there's some comments under here, including uh, FSU's honor is at stake. <laughs> no big deal. The nation will measure the strength of our fan base on what you decide. No pressure. <laughs> By the way, it doesn't have to be a big tattoo. So that's a good point. Big JD Noel 06 gave him that. Okay. Uh, I don't know. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna hit reach out to this guy and see if what we get because uh, sure about this regrettable. That's the kind of ver- reporting our podcast listeners uh, have come to expect. So, what is he thinking as UNC's driving to tie the game to force it overtime, and they it's fourth down? Is he cheering for UNC to send it to overtime to avoid this tattoo, or is he like, uh, no, let's get the tattoo? It's a good question. Uh, I don't know. The tattoo might really work with the with his fellow fans, particularly the female fans. He's trying to impress with this. You know, he's trying to be like the relatable wise guy. You know. It might. A lot of school spirit, right? Yeah, trying yeah. to set himself out there. Sure. I mean, and you know what? If you, if you were if you were actually counting on those North Carolina receivers who lost, dropped the last three <laughs> passes of that game, shame on you anyway. That was that was embarrassing, what North Carolina did at the end of that game. My goodness. Well, they had two punts blocked. They went 0 for 3 on fourth down. They went 2 for 11 on third down. It was just pretty much a disaster. I saw them at BC a couple weeks ago, and I left that stadium thinking, I got to went being like, oh, North Carolina's good. Mac Brown, maybe it's a good story. And they just self-destructed on drives. Like, they just, they have an excellent offensive line. All right? They should be able to push yeah. around pretty much anyone in the country. They get some big, good-looking horses up there. And they have two elite, elite tailbacks, like two high-end ACC tailbacks. Are they Travis Etienne? No. But they have as good of a tandem as anyone in the non-sacred three, really the non-sacred two in the league. Like, they're they're, they're, they're very good. They're very talented. They're very experienced. And uh, they just couldn't get out of their own way. And, you know, the, the defense, what did they give up to Virginia Tech? Like 50-something? Oh, that, like, that's, yeah. been, that's been surprising been to problem, me. Spot. Um, yeah, and it seems like that the way the offense wants to play is hamstrings. It just doesn't seem like good complimentary football. You watch them and you're just like, something's not right here. The special teams were bad. It did not win special team of the week, which had to be Houston in their uh, oh. loss to BYU. <laughs> With the fair catch on the one? They had a fair a guy fair catch the ball at the one. They had an onside kick uh, recovered against them. That's true. Yep. Uh, they had uh, BYU had fair was making a fair catch and they interfered with them. Right, not a good <laughs> bad penalty, and they had a thirteen yard punt. <laughs> As a solid, yeah, <laughs> solid work. Um, all right, we've gone this long uh, out of the out of sensitivity to somebody on this podcast feelings. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, forget that. C A T S cats 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 <laughs> Kentucky thirty four. <laughs> Rocky Top, Tennessee, seven. The Cats win for the first time in Neyland since 1984. Here is the Vols drive chart. Punt, fumble, pick six, pick six, interception, touchdown, volunteers. Punt, halftime, punt, 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 turnover on downs, game. Wow. Sully, how we doing? <laughs> oh, it's ugly, boys. It is ugly on Rocky Top. Oh, that that that's almost as bad. That's worse than Georgia State, honestly. That's ooh, man. You know, it's a very rational fan base. I'm sure they're handling it really well. Oh, yeah. Oh, how, have it. they been harassing you on Twitter lately, Pat, for your skepticism? I I, I actually did tweet that I have not been hearing from Tennessee yeah, fans like I was two funny. weeks ago. It's very strange. It's, they're a little chesty, little chesty yeah. with that longest win streak in the country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spanning two years and a pandemic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they they like, were awfully proud of that win streak over nobody. <laughs> and then and then you'll, you will always have halftime against uh, Georgia. And after, since then, straight into the pooper. It's been all right. I, I do brutal. want to play this because it, it was a terrible game by Tennessee. They got quarterback issues. They got they got all sorts of issues. Uh, in fairness, Kentucky looked like the team that we thought they could be and hit, weren't early. So, you know, we will see. But Tony Basilio, I think we've probably all been on Tony Basilio's show at some point. Yep. Radio show down in uh, in in the Knoxville area or across Tennessee. He has a uh, the fifth quarter show. Uh, he got a call. I just want to. I'm going to play this call uh, from a fan uh, reacting to you know how how it went. Uh, his his reactions. This is one of the one of the greater fan calls you'll ever hear. Okay, here we go. 
Hey, Washington, hey welcome in in Washington. For, welcome in. I've been watching Tennessee football for 30 years, and I did something today that I've never done. Which is? I messed up through a beer bottle through my window, and my wife left me. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife you left You really me. did throw right. a beer oh, bottle through your window? Yeah, and I don't even drink. I, I had two beers. I wasn't even drunk. I just I can't stand to watch this team anymore. I can't do it. My blood pressure's up, and I mean I'm cool and I'm calm. I don't I don't wow. get this way. But when when, when was that? When was that? If I can ask that you threw your second beer bottle through the window, and was there like a glass window? <laughs> yeah, it was a glass window. And your wife just looked at you and said, "You're nuts. I'm walking. Out. I'm getting out of here." And you don't and blame her, by the way, do you? Do you blame her? No, and I said I apologized to her and told her, "Honey, Tennessee football done this. I didn't do it." (laughs) 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 Uh, Literally, he says later it goes on. He says his wife packed up and went to her mom's house. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame her either. (laughs) Multiple great parts of this. I don't even drink. Yeah. <laughs> I only had two beers. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you don't drink, you don't have any beers. <laughs> two, what the hell is with windows in Tennessee, Sully? He asked if it was a glass window. Yeah. <laughs> what, <laughs> what other kind of window? Call me a snob, but that is uh, kind of assumed when you say the window. I what other substance should I be thinking would be hurricane the window? Force, hurricane force window. That's uh, about it. That's plexiglasses. I, I don't know. Okay. And then three, Tennessee football done it. Yeah, I didn't do that. Wasn't me. I was Tennessee football done it. <laughs> oh my god! I should have. I should have never shown my girlfriend that. That I was. I needed to use that line at some point. I needed to save that. <laughs> oh, Next that time I'm so late for good. the pod, I'm just going to flip it on and be like, Tennessee football done it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Tough loss for the Vols, to say oh. the least. Did that go viral in Vol land, Sully? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm Everybody's sure. talking about that today. It's a heck of a lot better better than a than a uh, large loss to Kentucky to talk about that, for sure. Yeah, a large loss at home to Kentucky. Goodness gracious. Do you feel like Kentucky's passed you by, Sully? Like, do you feel like, like it's going to take years to catch up to Kentucky? No. <laughs> no. That's... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so the 31 that's, point that's differential so, doesn't indicate anything. That, that's the sad part. It, it's Kentucky hasn't passed you by. It's it's they they completely beat you at every every point of it that you can possibly conjure up from that game. But if you look at the rosters, that's it, the rosters aren't that different, and that, that that goes flat on the coach. So who do you fire? Uh, first one's Chris Winky. Total recruiting hire, by the way. Chris Winkie, completely, completely not prepared to be an SEC level quarterback coach. So he was first. Mm -hmm. Who was next? Uh, Will Friend. Will Friend also needs to go. Offensive line coach. Tennessee football done it. I'm going (laughs) to throw a beer bottle through my window. A glass window? Uh, Sure. (laughs) I'm like, what? I don't even drink. That's what I'm going to tell my wife. I don't even drink. I only had two beers. The last and only time Kentucky has beaten Tennessee by more points than that. 1893, baby. <laughs> 1893. They have really almost by a century and a half. Like, you can't even yeah. say it once a century. Like, it's actually, like, closer to one. Yeah. <laughs> like, a good amount. Yeah, you probably get fired for that. You should probably get fired for that. Somebody should lose their job. Eh. Didn't they extend Pruitt in the offseason? Because he always is, like, the 247 champion. Yeah, he, they did extend him right uh, right before, I think, week one or soon thereafter. 247 champion. He was on a long losing, winning streak, in case you didn't know, Pete. I mean, yes, they've beaten yes. South Carolina and Vandy and UAB and Indiana by a point. And you saw they – I mean, they were the they were the offseason recruiting champion, right? You can't argue oh, that, yeah. like – it, unexpected, yeah. obviously, but you know, like the 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 other the, the blue bloods are going to blue blood, right? Ohio State's going to get their guys, mm-hmm. but Tennessee, man, did they win all the recruiting battles? All the recruiting battles, a lot of talent. All right, well, we can't just make fun of uh, Sully's alma mater because Pete, mm-hmm. yours <laughs> by seventeen to Liberty, and I, the UMass Minutemen made their first appearance in the season and got dusted forty-one zip. 
<laughs> to Georgia Southern. Thanks for, for coming. First and perhaps only appearance, right? I mean, Currently the only game? game scheduled. Yeah. They would set the all-time record in fewest points scored by a team in a season, <laughs> I would think. <laughs> Uh, Cumberland uh, might have got him there. But yeah. <laughs> 41 zip. So, uh, Pat, your game got canceled because the other team got COVID, or you would have gotten maybe it too. So, not going so well. Now, are... UMass did get busted for major violations in their women's tennis program. Yeah. Yes. I'm that a, was a Twitter little nugget I needed to get through Friday. Oh, yeah. That was, that was oh, great. Yeah. If Dan had been the bag man for women's tennis at UMass, it would have just been epic. I was waiting, <laughs> waiting. I'm saving my money for Serena Williams' two-year-old daughter. Okay, <laughs> we've already started a payment plan and on yeah. that. No, it wasn't. Uh, it was not a major. It was a bookkeeping error. But these we don't we don't even cheat well. That's the no, problem. That's Tw- the thing. You Twelve need- players in basketball and uh, and tennis got nine grand in extra stipend or something. And uh, that was. I'm like, th- this is this is the thing about the NCAA. This is why I'm always critical of the NCAA, right? So the school, the rule book is so complicated that an accounting error. Somebody gives out an extra couple hundred bucks a month to some kids without them knowing, and they just sort of get it in a check. They have to have like, you know, a compliance department, right? Each school needs like six, eight, 10 people, sec- administrative assistants, all these people in compliance just to follow the rule book. Then you have all these investigators to catch the accounting error. <laughs> Then you have to hire a law firm to defend the accounting error. <laughs> then you have to have a committee on infractions to punish the thing. Then there'll be an appeal. The, yeah. They will spend all in, with salaries and all the different people, like millions of dollars will be spent to catch a women's tennis player getting <laughs> 265 extra bucks. <laughs> that is yeah. NCAA. They don't care about the, they're not pro student, they're pro bureaucracy, right? <laughs> This is the gimmick. Well, better hire another administrator to watch over the accounting department. That's right. Otherwise, this is what happens. More full-time employees for us. (laughs) Well, your alma mater at least isn't on the hook if they want to fire their coach for more than $17 million. So Dino Babers gets waxed in the Carrier Dome on Saturday. The Liberty team takes the field after they go to the locker room after the game to take pictures on the block, at, like it was our their first ACC win in program history. They literally were like posterizing them. And the frustrated, some people in the frustrated fan base reached out to me and said, how much? So I did a little, did a little poking around. And Babers uh, basically, it would be at least 17 million to, uh, to, to get rid of him, which is just like, you know, and Syracuse doesn't have SEC money. They don't have, uh, you know, Big Ten money. So can you like you want to talk about like it in lockstep like with with some administrative malfeasance there? Poo, poo. So everybody right. gets I, paid, I assume, but the tennis player. I, yeah, I assume they 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 gave Babers like a new deal or a sweetened deal after the 2018 season, right? When they went ten and three, they went. Is 10, that one? Yeah, yes. So okay. they 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 ratcheted him out. They gave him a seven year deal. There's. Uh, after this season, there's four left on it. It goes through 24. So th- th- this is this is how the racket works, though, in, <clears throat> in the Power Five schools, is you get one good year and you leverage the hell out of the school and the school just rolls over and says, okay, leverage us. Because here was Dino Baber's career tr- arc, all right? Four and eight in his first year at Syracuse. Four and eight his second year at Syracuse. Then... The breakthrough year, 10-3, and three, they beat one ranked team in the bowl game. They beat West Virginia. I'm sure West Virginia was breathing fire, full of motivation to play that game. They played three other ranked teams during the season, lost to all of them. That was the, the ACC was bad, but they went 10-3 and three in that, so that's when he got the big contract. Then he turns around, goes 5-7, and seven, and so far this year, 1-4, and four, and it's a bad 1-4, and four, but they, they, they can't fire him because they paid him too much money because of one season. That's how it works. They all exactly. fall for the okey-doke. Yep. All this money. All this money. Uh, all right. Rather than wait for the end of the season to hand out the Heisman Trophy, we're impatient, so we hand it out every single week in our small sample Heisman. Hello, record book. 
Colorado's Boss Sample Heisman. How about that? I'm going to give, give it to the guy that I think is, can challenge uh, Trevor Lawrence for the large sample Heisman, and that's Jalen Waddell. And I know he has a lot of competition on his own team uh, in terms of Heisman or other hype. Uh, Devontae Smith, who we talked about, is outstanding at receiver. Najee Harris is outstanding at running back. Mac Jones is outstanding at quarterback. But the best player on the team is Jalen Waddell. He's the only guy in the country, uh, or he leads the country in yards per catch for anybody who has more than 20 receptions. He's got 25 catches. He's averaging 22.3 yards per catch. Total burner. But also, great hands, good route runner, stops on a dime. Uh, just a very exciting player to watch, and he hasn't even broken a kick yet. He will. Uh, to me, he's the most exciting player in college football, and he certainly was when he had the 90-yard catch and uh, six catches, 161 yards. He's been over 100 yards every game this year. Jalen Waddle, small sample Heisman. I'm going to go a little uh, – we're all searching for, like, competitive teams, right? Teams that can maybe upset the apple cart, teams that can be a foil to some of the favorites. And I am now officially intrigued by Virginia Tech. They have been racked by COVID. We don't have a sense of uh, of, of who they really are because we really haven't seen them with their full personnel. Shoot, their defensive coordinator made his debut, debut last week. So I'm going to give my small sample Heisman to Hendon Hooker, their quarterback. He ran for 164 yards against Boston College. He completed 11 of 15 passes, threw for a buck 11, and an extra touchdown. Um, he also rushed for three touchdowns. Hendon Hooker had himself a night, and uh, Virginia Tech is intriguing. All right, I'm giving mine to Brady White, quarterback at Memphis. Six touchdowns, 486 yards, including three in the fourth quarter, three TDs in the fourth quarter, two in the final four minutes to uh, help Memphis uh, come back to beat UCF in a very exciting game on Saturday. Uh, and you know what? I, I will say this on behalf of, and we're all kind of, we're all excited the Big Ten's coming back next week. But the one positive of this bizarre early season is we have gotten these, more of the non-Power 5 teams have gotten these prime TV spots. And, and I look at the last week, we had a terrific Coastal Carolina beating Louisiana game on Wednesday. We had an Arkansas State Georgia State shootout on Thursday. We had a great doubleheader of SMU Tulane and BYU Houston on Friday. And we had this one, UCF Memphis, which is a phenomenal rivalry and always produced these great games at the 3.30 slot on ABC on Saturday. That's been one of the benefits, and that was a great game. And Brady White gets my Heisman for leading that comeback. All right, we've said many mean things on this podcast. We fired people. We, we've done nothing nice. We're not nice people, but we try every once in a while, particularly at the end of the show, to say something nice. Pete, are you capable of saying something nice on today's podcast? I am capable of saying something nice. I'm going to say something nice about Kansas interim coach Joshua Ergel. I met Ergel two years ago when he was at Austin P. Uh, one of the cooler stories I've been around in college sports. They were opening at Georgia that year. Ergel and his wife, Kristen, have a daughter named Landry who has severe special needs. They were underwater in hospital bills. It got the, out in the media that they were struggling like this, the Georgia fan base rallied and helped them raise $100,000 to help pay Landry's hospital bill. So I thought that was very cool. Ergel ends up bouncing around. He, he's off the field. A year ago at this time, he's off the field at Kansas. Les Miles doesn't go, it doesn't isn't able to go to West Virginia. He's now the tight ends coach at Kansas and the recruiting coordinator. And he was the interim head coach on Saturday. Joshua Ergel, uh, the spunky Jayhawks had a what ten nothing lead to start the uh, to start the game and uh, and and gave the uh, gave the Mountaineers a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a scare. So I'm going to say something nice that I appreciate the path of Josh Ergel and uh, he he looked all right in his debut as interim coach. Yeah. It is, except you left out the part where they covered the spread against my lock of the week, West Virginia, by a <laughs> point and a half. <laughs> So even more Josh reason Ergel. to say nice things. Yes. <laughs> uh. If I knew that, I would have totally led with it. I forgot. <laughs> forgot about your yeah. bad pick, Pat. <laughs> yeah. uh, by the way, I, I believe not only am I above 500, I believe I am tied for the lead in the race for the case with, with you, Pete Thamel. So keep that in mind. All right, Pat, say something nice. 
Okay. <laughs> About someone other than yourself. Yeah, that's my favorite subject. But um, yeah, all right, I'm going to say something nice about, again, long the long dance uh, line is with fewer games and fewer teams, we, we get a chance to pay more attention to people that normally we wouldn't. And so I'm going to say something nice about Marshall. Four and O has yet to trail in a game this year. Ranks in the top five in scoring defense, total defense, and rushing defense nationally. Thundering Herd, kind of overshadowed in their own state by West Virginia. Uh, they've been, they've had some years they were a great program. If you go back to when Chad Pennington, Randy Moss were there, who was the big, big quarter? Byron Leftwich. Yeah. Um, but now they've, you know what? This is a defense driven team and they're pretty good. They, and if you look at the schedule in Conference USA, there's a great chance they're going undefeated. Uh, that doesn't mean they're going to the playoff, but if Marshall could go undefeated on, I believe it's the 50-year anniversary of the terrible tragedy when the plane crash uh, took the entire team, uh, that would be a heck of a story. All right, I'm going to say something nice about Sid Hartman. Ah, good call. Now, if you live in Minnesota, you know who I'm talking about. He's a legendary columnist for the Minneapolis Star Tribune and just man about town and radio show. Uh, he died Sunday at the age of 100. On Sunday, the Star Tribune published his column. Sunday morning, he, he, he continued until he was 100 years old. Life goals for the rest of us. <laughs> writing three columns a week for the Star Tribune. Incredible. And one published on... Uh, what's that? Star it's Tribune? It's, I got the it's, yeah, it's, no, it's incredible. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Okay, he published one on Sunday morning and then died at 100. He... <laughs> It included a little bit about Minnesota playing Michigan next week. Uh, he's covered, obviously, everything in the Twin Cities. He started selling the newspaper as a paper boy in Minnesota at, at the age of nine in 1928. <laughs> <laughs> before the stock market crash, before the Depression, before World War II, et cetera, and so on. He dropped out of high school. In the 10th grade, in 1944, he got an internship with the Minneapolis Times and started writing. <laughs> he never stopped. Okay. This is the most amazing career ever. It is. There was a stretch. It's beyond, it's beyond belief. No one even understands this outside of Minnesota. In the, in the 40s, he... He paid, personally paid, at age 26, in 1946, at the age of 26, he paid the, the owner of the Detroit Gems, which was part of the NBA at the time, 50 grand and bought the team and moved them to Minneapolis. <laughs> he changed the name to the Minneapolis Lakers. Yes. He wow. He drafted George Mikan. <laughs> he tried to trade for Bill Russell. Of They won... Was it five titles or something? They won a bunch of titles. Yeah. yeah. Five championships in 12 seasons, including a three-peat in 52 to 54. He sold them, and uh, they they got they transferred, obviously, to Los Angeles and became a little operation out there. While owning the professional basketball <laughs> team in Minneapolis, he still wrote for the paper. <laughs> Talk about conflict of interest. Yeah. The lead sports columnist <laughs> was the owner of the team. <laughs> Didn't matter. I would see Sid. I have not seen him in a couple years. I believe I was at a Vikings game a couple years ago, and I, I, I'm trying to remember whether sure, but like 97, 98 years old, he would muscle his way in, oh. in an NFL locker room with this. Oh, he had this big old huge like, tape, tape recorder, yeah. tape recorder, the tape recorder, big microphone. That he yeah. It was like a 1984 tape recorder, <laughs> yeah. and he'd jam it right in there and start asking questions. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable energy. Oh, yeah. Un truly unbelievable career. <laughs> Sid Hartman, absolute legend. So yeah. I'm going to say something nice about him. Man. That's a good one. You met him, Pat, I assume? Oh, absolutely. Yes, and I was muscled out of the way by him in various interview settings. To, <laughs> so that, I mean, he was... He was a bull with the with the big tape recorder. I mean, he had to get his questions in, and he was going through you, around you, over you, whatever, to get his questions in. And it was nineties, absolutely. It was amazing. I mean, you're watching like, holy cow, you're still Late around. Nineties, yeah, yeah. There, there's a uh, <laughs> unbelievable story that Kevin Seifert, who who covers the NFL, 
I think he's at the Athletic now, but I think he was at, you know, he's, I think he was at the Star Tribune. It, in 2000, when, whenever it was that Prince was going to play the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So Prince is obviously huge in Minnesota. He's the most famous probably person from Minnesota. And Sid Hartman is, uh, uh, you know, at this point, he's 90, whatever. He's 90-year-old Sid Hartman. And he says, I want to meet Prince. This Prince guy, I never met him. <laughs> he's playing He's playing at the, uh, the, the Super Bowl. I find out this local guy he does not know who Prince is. I want to say hello to that Prince guy. He calls the Vikings. He says, could you set that up? The Vikings PR, which had been obviously dealing with Sid Hartman, they don't know what to do. So they try to find him. Uh, they go, they're at the Super Bowl, and Prince is going to give a little press conference. If, you, if you're the Super Bowl halftime act, you do a press conference. And they basically bully their way past security, and they're in the back room of this uh, convention center in Miami. And all of a sudden, there comes Prince surrounded by bodyguards. And Sid Hartman sees him and goes after him for the interview <laughs> like course. he's, right, some Minnesota Viking that took yeah. three, 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 three picks. <laughs> he goes running down. So this is, I'm going to read the story, okay? Sid, Sid did what he always does. He chased the guy down he wanted to talk to. <laughs> hey, Prince, Prince, hey, Prince. That's the way Hagen it's so the PR guy at the Vikings. Remember Sid flagging him down. At that moment, everyone, everybody stopped. The bodyguards looked over and saw an 87-year-old sports writer <laughs> trying to get a little personal time with one of the quirkiest celebrities of our time. And it's a very reclusive man. Oh, Prince. yes. Okay. The seas just parted, Hagen said. And Prince turned around really slow to see who this was. Prince looked at Sid. Sid looked at Prince. Hello, Mr. Hartman, Prince said. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Even Prince knew who the guy was. That that <laughs> is awesome. awesome. Yeah, they chatted yeah. for five minutes, and then finally he was late for the press conference. So Prince left, and uh, they told him later, like, "Do you have any idea that you just don't get five minutes talking to?" <laughs> like Sid Hart, oh, something's happening in Minneapolis. It's going on my big giant paper recorder. <laughs> I wonder what I wonder what he wrote about. Good question. Uh, I read that I Kevin Seaver story today. I saw yeah. it go around on Twitter, yeah. and I mean, it's an, it's an epic story. Like that is an all time <laughs> hack story. And the funny thing is, too, when Prince finally did the the press conference, which he didn't want to do, he didn't say anything. He just pulled out his guitar and started playing. He didn't answer any questions. So Sid got the only interview. Yeah. That is true. He did a concert instead. Yeah. yeah. Sid Sid got the rare interview with Prince. Who yeah. knows what he asked him. We have to find that out. Anyway, great job, Sid Hartman, man. 100 years old. Good Lord. 1928 to 2020. He had mm. something to do with the Minneapolis newspapers. <laughs> that's, I was disappointed. I went to click on the uh, on the obit, and it was behind a firewall. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Like, I wanted to. I was like, like, yeah, maybe the yeah, like Star it, Tribune should offer that one up for free, man. Yeah. Come on now. Just, I, Come just, on. Uh, uh, I was just like, ah, that stinks. Yeah, I, I saw that, too. All right, we'll be back Wednesday, hopefully, unless we yeah. hit the fate of Big Sid Ten Hartman. preview, right, on Wednesday? Yeah. Big Ten preview. We'll do yeah. some little Big Ten. It's coming back. Yeah. Welcome back. Not a moment too soon. We need at least a third good team in this country. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Buckeyes. Yeah. No pressure. All right, talk to you then. <laughs>